In contrast to other IDEs and programming environments, the Notebook interface offers software developers a unique environment idealized for data professionals. Despite the growth and popularity, a surprising learning curve exists just to get setup and configuration going. After that, your siloed Notebook offers no native collaboration tools. And while I can connect to a SQL database programmatically to get the data I need, if I'm looking for an ideal ergonomic environment for some heavy-duty SQL queries, I've historically sought an external tool for that job. In this episode, I interview Barry McArdle and Caitlin Calgrove from Hex. Hex is a collaborative data workspace that makes it easy to go from idea to analysis to sharing. We talk about Hex's offering and the evolving space of notebook solutions for going beyond some of the issues noted above. So Barry and Caitlin, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. And can both of you tell me a little bit about how you got your start in software and data-related topics? Yeah, totally. So I started as a software engineer first at Palantir, where I worked on a variety of different full-stack data products. There, I actually also moved into more engineering management side of things. And then I spent a year or so building out the data team at Remix, which is sort of a small uh, transportation planning software startup. And that was really interesting for me because I got to sort of emerge and see the beginnings of the development of this modern data stack. And that was where actually where I started talking about Barry, about the about the idea for Hex, even though we'd sort of been working together for a few years uh, at that point. And here I am. Yeah, and I, um, I've i spent my career more on the like user of data product side. So I've been either you know an analyst or sort of more product roles around using and building data tools. And Caitlin and I actually met when we were both working at Palantir. We wound up working closely together to build some data products for you know customers I was working with and her and her engineering team. And so that was five or six years ago now. We've, we've pretty much been working together and um, partnering on building data products ever since. So both of you have had enough experience that you saw when the idea of notebooks, starting with the Jupyter Notebook, or maybe the, I guess it was Mathematica that had something similar before. Could you talk a little bit about that moment when you saw this paradigm first hit the market, so to speak? Yeah, I, I for me, it was, it was probably almost 10 years ago. Like a lot of people started using notebooks when I think they were still called, you know, like the, the predominant one was IPython notebooks, and that project eventually evolved into Jupyter. As you mentioned, there were other iterations of that. I think most people think of Mathematica as the first one. And like a lot of people, notebooks to me like immediately caught on and clicked. They're very interactive. They're great for exploratory work. It's that sort of REPL-like literate programming paradigm where I can write some code, see the output, edit the code, see the output. And they're really great for that. But I think like a lot of people, I kind of always had in the back of my mind a bunch of the problems and limitations with them. And so I, you know, I was a user of notebooks for many, many years before Hex, the idea for Hex really congealed. And in some ways, what we're doing with Hex is taking the best of notebooks, I think the potential of notebooks and trying to really lean into that while also thinking just in a much bigger picture on what, what these analytics workflows really should look like. You know, there's another thing about notebooks too, is like they've traditionally only really been accessible to a small population of people. It was like, can you get a local Python environment set up and can you you know, manage all of your environments and dependencies and run Jupyter locally and, and figure out all the version control stuff yourself. That that can be a pretty high barrier for entry. I struggled with that actually when I was first using them. And so another sort of core, I think, precept of hacks is like, how do we take this amazing literate programming paradigm and, and help just a ton more people be able to benefit and access it? 
And can you talk a little bit about what Hex is as a company and what the products or services are? So Hex is a collaborative data workspace. People use Hex to analyze data, collaborate with others, and then share their work as interactive data apps that anyone else can use. And this solves some really core problems around data analytics and data science projects, especially on how teams collaborate and share. This is a problem that I had years of experience with, as as noted. And then we see all the time today when we're talking to potential users and customers where people are doing really great work, but it's super siloed. Like, you know, they're, they're doing, they're running a local notebook or they're running something in a SQL scratch pad or whatever. And it's really hard to work together. And, and a lot of times you'll see collaboration is really suboptimal. And then sharing is done through like taking a screenshot of a chart and pasting it into Google Doc or doing a CSV export or, you know, all these sort of really horrible hacks. And the sort of workflows and, and products really just haven't been built around modern collaboration. And so at Hex, we've built a really forward-looking platform that takes the best of these things and then you know, pushes these workflows forward. And the core of Hex is this notebook-like UI. Like if you're coming from Jupyter, it's all very familiar and powerful. But I think part of the magic of Hex is that it then layers on a bunch of awesome new superpowers. And it's also really approachable for folks coming from other backgrounds. As an example, it has a full-blown SQL IDE, like and then a bunch of UI-driven tools like you know uh, visual charts. So you don't even need to know any Python at all or be able to run anything locally to be able to do amazing things in Hex. And this has just completely opened up the population of people who can do these types of workflows. And this is really amazing as an individual. Like I can run a SQL query. I can then go do something in Python, go back to SQL, build a chart using a UI all in one flow. It's, it's really great. But then it's also great for teams. Like we can work together. I can version my work. We can do code reviews. I can quickly invite you and ask you to do a review and you can comment on it. I mean, what you're familiar with, you know, if you've ever used like Google Docs, we basically brought that to these analytics workflows. And then you can take that project and build an, an app. And this is really great because you can basically wire in a UI really quickly. You can add like a dropdown or a slider, format the whole thing in a beautiful way, and then share with others. And instead of them getting like a static export or a code notebook file that they don't understand how to run, your other people you're sharing with just see a gorgeous web app that they can use to ask and answer questions. And this really starts to get into this bigger picture of what we're trying to accomplish at Hex, which is being a platform for knowledge. You know, data work isn't just about one-off insights. I actually think that's really part of the problem. Like you see a lot of data scientists or data analysts will do some really interesting work and then they'll share it out as a one-off export or a CSV or a Google bunch of screenshots in a Google Doc, and it kind of just floats in the ether. And so another thing we've introduced into Hex is this idea of a knowledge library. It allows you to categorize and organize your work. You can assign a status like draft or approved or archive. And so now there's one place you can go in an organization to find all the knowledge that has been created by the data team. There's no more hunting down random links in Slack or whatever. And we think this really fundamentally changes the way data teams and, and data practitioners interact with the rest of their organization. And so from a mission perspective, I think at the highest level, that's really what we're trying to accomplish and affect. And I'm, I'm really excited about what we've done and, and what's coming on that front. Is Hex, or could we describe it as Jupiter as a service plus all these extra features? Or have you reinvented the notebook in a more fundamental way? We owe a debt to Jupiter. We owe a debt to the folks that you know, even back to Mathematica and folks who have iterated on this format over time. But I wouldn't personally describe it that way. I think that we've really taken and, and added a lot of other things and we, we've really taken it in some other directions as well. So, 
you know, if folks, again, if folks are coming from Jupyter, I think if you're, if you're like, Hey, I'm looking for like a hosted notebook as a service, we think, don't get me wrong. I think we're a great, we're a great solution for that, but we've really gone deep on some other areas that I'm excited about. And I think one of them is how we've reimagined the compute model for notebooks, which was traditionally one of the most problematic things. Yeah, this is actually one of the things that's been one of the most interesting projects that we've, we've worked on. And fundamentally, architecturally, we did start very similar to Jupyter, where you sort of have a stateful memory-bound kernel. But there are a lot of problems with that. Some of the most famous ones come from the talk, I Hate Notebooks, which I think is pretty pretty famous at this point. And there's, there's a couple problems with the way notebooks work under the hood. And we sort of think about these as kind of the state problem and the scale problem. And the state problem is that it's great to be able to rerun individual cells, but you can also do this out of order. You can get into a state where you have no idea what's running under the hood. It's very hard to reproduce. I think everybody who's worked with a notebook has has had this experience where they are working in their notebook, they're rerunning different cells, trying to get it to work, and then they run it top to bottom and it's totally broken. And so this was something that we saw really early on with our users. One of the most common answers to support requests was, well, have you tried running it top to bottom and, and to try to see what's what's going on there? And while being able to run things out of order and sort of in isolation, it, it does have some uses and we actually still support that. Often it ends up not being the workflow that most people are targeting. And so what we actually did is we actually sort of rethought and reimagined what this state problem should look like. And we ended up building what we refer to as reactivity on top of our notebooks. And what this does is essentially what we do is we look at the different cells in the Python that you've written and we automatically determine the dependencies between cells. And so what this means is that when you change a cell and you rerun it, we automatically know all of the cells that are downstream of that and we rerun those for you. And so the end result is that your state is always consistent and it's always predictable. And when you run things top to bottom, you're always going to get the same result. And this has just been hugely popular among all of our users because all of a sudden they don't have to think about like, you know, what are the variables containing in memory anymore? Because it's all just what you see is what you get. It also has some really awesome sort of knock-on benefits of performance, for example, because now we can partially recompute notebooks in a really predictable and accurate way. And this was a super fun project just from an engineering side, because we had to go into the Python and actually like look at the abstract syntax tree and start to pull out the different variables and how they're being used and things like that. So in addition to being a great feature, it was just a really fun project. Yeah, that is a really exciting feature for anyone like myself who's had that exact problem of going back and making edits and now it doesn't run top to bottom. But I also fear that somewhere lurking in there is the halting problem or some reason why this isn't necessarily going to work in every single case. Can you put my fears to rest in that regard? Well, technically, you're correct. It's actually very, very difficult. And I believe that you're right, provably impossible to do this 100% accurately. And I think that dissuaded us for a long time from even trying. But what we found that is in practice, you can do it really, really well. And we've actually not yet encountered a situation where this was actually the bug, where we'd sort of inaccurately uh, calculated these dependencies. Yeah, I think what's interesting is you can focus a lot on like the edge cases or the theoretics of like something these problems, but in practice, like what we find is the benefit of this feature is actually such that even if there's edge cases or whatever, like users are pretty tolerant of it because we're giving them all of this other magic. And so, you know, every product contains its own trade-offs and we just felt like this was, this was just the really obvious thing to do. 
So to date, my experience collaborating with notebooks is either I export an HTML or a PDF of it, or like you say, take a screenshot of the figure. Or I guess I could say I could screen share with somebody, and that's a form of collaboration. On top of these very baseline things, how does Hex help me uh, have a more sophisticated collaboration? Yeah, everyone's had that experience, right? So I think when you think about the sort of software space more broadly in the last few years, you've seen this really renaissance of collaborative first tools in a lot of other spaces. Uh, Figma's done this for design. You have products like Notion that's done this for sort of doc editing and knowledge. There's even you know things like Frame that have done this for video editing. Um, and we are doing this for data and analytics workflows. And so a pretty early project that we worked on that's also very interesting from an engineering perspective is uh, real-time multiplayer. So just like you know any of these other products I just mentioned, you know you and I can be in a project together. I can see what you're doing. We can you know have full multiplayer state comment. So you know I can ask you, know, you can do a review on it, and we can collaborate in that way. And that's useful sometimes synchronously, like you and I are on maybe a, a chat together and want to want to debug something. It's also really useful asynchronously. We see a lot of people use this for um, like code review workflows, basically. Then we push well beyond that, though, because, you know, that that's a great feature. But it's important then we've introduced like real version control, like the ability to checkpoint, save, revert, have different versions you're working on and have all of that be really thorough. You know, it's it, and then even sort of a what I would call a basic branching model of being able to publish your work and say, you know, hey, this is a version that's published. that's actually sort of blessed. It's almost like deploying it. And so you can have like a draft version and then something that's published and then Beyond that, then syncing to GitHub so you can manage your analytics like code, like having a diffable file format. These are all things that sort of, you may even reach for different things in different contexts of collaborating. Like you and I may want to work synchronously in a project to debug something, or I may want to check my code into GitHub for another reason. So there's there's just a lot of ways we've, we've sort of enabled these different modalities of sharing, or of collaboration. And then, you know, I mentioned earlier, the sharing bit, I think is, is equally important of like, how can I take my work and make it useful for others without like doing a static HTML export or whatever, which is not great. And so that's, that's where like the data apps bit comes in and like being able to categorize and share those and have people who have never even seen a line of Python before be able to interactively rerun your project and ask and answer questions of it. Like that's crucial if you want your data work to be impactful. And that's been a big focus of ours. When I run a Jupyter notebook, the state that you've been mentioning has things like, you know, what the variables are that I've set. It also is something about the particular library instances I have running locally, because, of course, that Jupyter notebook is really from a server on my local machine. That's not going to work when it comes to collaborating. So in the case of Hex, where does my memory and the choice of libraries and all of these configurations, uh, where does that live? Actually, this is one of the huge benefits of Hex because the shared library problem and the shared sort of local state issue, and, you know, what, what libraries you have installed at what versions and things like that is a really, really common pain point of making Jupyter Notebooks portable. And so the way we operate is we actually have, we have kernels that we're hosting and those have a set of packages installed on them. And you can change that if they're not, you know, what, what you want, but this particular configuration is associated with the notebook. So every time... I come in, I'm going to spin up a version of this kernel that has that configuration. And so I, as the end user, don't even have to think about that. That version is, or that set of libraries, all of that state is portable between different users because we've actually sort of preserved that as part of the application state. And what's interesting about this 
similarly to the reactivity, like the, the compute model is this is really useful for advanced users who like you or me have that shared experience of like, you know, trying to manage environments and deal with all that. But it's also really useful for more novice users who are like, what's a Python environment? And that's a lot of our users. These are SQL folks. These are folks who are maybe coming up in data analytics and data science. And whether it's the compute model or it's environment management or collaboration, like we have this philosophy as a product of like a low floor and a high ceiling. Like the entry point to participate in data science shouldn't be like, go learn how environment management works or go learn how to run. Like, it's just, it's not right. Like it's, and this is just like been the legacy of, of a lot of these tools so far. Like step one can't be like, figure out how to build a Docker image. You know, we can take on a lot of that for you while also giving those advanced users flexibility and control. Like that's, I think the real magic of, of a lot of what we've done and something we've really spent a lot of time focused on, whether it's from the engineering or design perspective. Well, I appreciate that you have a Git integration. I like uh, source control for notebooks, but one of the most painful experiences, I well, not most painful, but a very painful experience I've had in life is when there's a merge conflict on a notebook. Because, of course, Jupyter won't even recognize the format anymore. Can Hex help me in that situation? Yeah, I mean, this is one of those yes earlier about sort of our relationship with Jupyter. And again, like I, I can't say enough about how much we feel indebted to that that project and that community. But it's one of those two where you kind of look and you say, hey, there's some assumptions there that maybe won't work as well for what we're doing, whether it's the compute model or files. As we approach the question of being able to have like diffable file formats, we had a real you, know, you really had to tackle this. Like, are we going to embrace the IPY, IPYMB file format? There's some reasons to do it. Like, it's it's a standard. There's a sort of ecosystem around it. You know, you could potentially export from Hex and import directly into a Jupyter notebook. But there were also some really strong reasons recommending against it. Like, even if you could export from Hex as an IPYMB, well, there's a bunch of features we built that, like, don't exist in Jupyter. So that that's not going to work necessarily and then more broadly, and I think what you're referencing, there's there's some real issues with the format. Like it it, it serializes outputs into it. it this actually is really difficult to diff. You have a lot of merge conflicts. I don't think there's anyone that I've ever met who's like really enjoyed the idea of of doing like Git based workflows around IPYMB, despite there being a little cottage industry of like various projects to try to make it less painful. So we've developed our own file format. It's it's not like some super secret proprietary format. It's basically just YAML, but it's like cleaner. We think it's more concise. It's easier to diff. It's something that if someone did want to take it and you push it to another tool, like, feel free to do it. It's not meant to drive lock-in or anything like that, but we think it's, it's just a better, saner uh, format than what I think a lot of folks wind up grappling with today. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, every product has its own trade-offs. We just felt like this was the right set of trade-offs for us to embrace. Well, sharing a notebook experience, I have a pretty good vision of that. You'd also touched on some like UI elements and ways you could construct something interactive, which isn't traditionally a notebook idea. Could you describe more of that experience in Hex? Yeah, sure. So I can fire up a Hex project. I can write a SQL query. I can write another SQL query on top of the results of that SQL query. A cool feature of data frame SQL. I can write Python to manipulate these data frames. I can go back to SQL. So I can write, I can do a fully code-based workflow. But then there's a bunch of other cells that we've introduced, like a chart cell as an example, where I can build a chart visually instead of writing a bunch of lines of matplotlib or Altair or whatever my weapon of choice is. I can build a visual cell, chart cell, which is really appealing to some users. And then I can also wire in a UI using our input 
parameter cells. And so it could be something like a text cell, which, you know, as you can imagine, like a little text field, I can enter in some text and that cell returns a variable with that string. It could be a slider, like a numeric slider, like one through 10, and it'll return a variable from that. And there's a whole library of these that we've built that let, effectively lets you, it's like a UI builder, really. Like I can go through and wire up in my project these UI-based cells. And that's cool. I use that all the time when I'm doing work just myself of like, I'll build instead of, you know, a bunch of hard-coded parameters, I'll build these input cells. It's easier to slide them around. And as, you know, Caitlin was talking about the reactive model, it'll only recompute downstream dependencies. So that's pretty slick. But then these are really great in the interactive apps that Hex lets you publish. Like this is, you know, when you think about publishing an app in Hex, when you go to the app builder, by default, it kind of takes all of the input parameters and then all of the cell outputs, whether it's a chart or a table or whatever, or markdown, formats them really, really nicely, hides all the code, and then lets you publish that. So the end result could be something that is really delightfully interactive for end users. Like I can move a slider and it'll rerun all the logic behind the scenes and serve new results back up to me without me even needing to know what a notebook is or what hex is even necessarily if I'm just someone using this app that's been published. And so people build all sorts of things with this, whether it's a simple report or a really complex app or something that's more like a dashboard. Like we're effectively allowing people to publish fully blown, full blown web apps without needing to go learn a bunch of front end code. It's it's pretty slick. And what's that? Do you see that being something that people ultimately publish? Like maybe someone will build their whole business on your platform, or is this more targeted as the way I share things to executives who don't know SQL but still need controls? Yeah, those those mythical low tech executives. That is how a lot of people use it, right? They'll they'll publish something to stakeholders internally, whether it's a report that's like, hey, you know, here's the results of this experiment, and they want to send out some product managers or marketers, or something more complex. We have people build full like CRUD workflow apps in Hex, which is pretty cool. And then yeah, we we've seen people build all sorts of stuff and publish them publicly. Like we have folks who have published some really neat. We had someone do this really cool um, New York Times crossword app that they published publicly. <laughs> it's just like. All sorts of neat stuff that people build and share. And it's really cool to be a platform for people's creativity. So yeah, most of those use cases are those internal ones. But we've started to see a lot of people just start sharing things publicly. And it's really it's really fun to see, see that. Well, I'm not sure how much access you have to data like this. But I'm curious if you see job titles of your typical users and if there's any patterns of the type of person that's spending some of their working day in Hex. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to get exact data on like job titles of users or whatever. It's more anecdotal data, you know, just from talking to users. Um, but it's a really cool span that we see. I think uh, like you can imagine this sort of core persona that's like a data scientist who has used Jupiter in the past. Who's like, you know, immediately Hex is just sort of a new upgrade and super set of superpowers. But there's this really wide span. We call it the this analytically technical population of people that are curious, they're data-driven, they're curious, they want to do more with data. And this can span from a data scientist to a data analyst to machine learning engineer to a business analyst. Like we actually think that one of the big problems with a lot of traditional tools is that they wind up being really siloed because they're only targeting very thin slices of this. Like traditionally, if I'm using a notebook, by necessity I have this like higher degree of technicality. And if I'm someone who's mostly working in SQL, I'm off using something completely different. And if I'm more of a business analyst, I might be in Excel or a BI tool. And if I'm a machine learning engineer, I'm off in some other thing. And it's like, you, you can't be everything to everyone, but we think that fragmentation is actually a bug. And so it's, I mentioned this earlier, but that sort of low floor, high ceiling philosophy is a way for us to bring all these people together and say, sort of say like, hey, these are actually one consistent set of workflows that 
that people should be able to collaborate and share on together. So it's an interesting question, like what does the title data scientist even mean and who are these personas? But we think of it as like, hey, there's this big population of people who are trying to do more with data and we want to be something amazing for all of them. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure Hex is not a storage solution. That is to say, I'm not going to bring my data to you. I already have my data somewhere and I bring Hex to my data. Are there any prerequisites for companies who want to onboard? So we actually made the product decision very early on that we wanted to integrate really tightly with existing storage solutions. And there's a lot of really good reasons for this. I mean, number one is that Snowflake, Databricks, all of these folks are basically building supercomputers. And we think that our expertise is really in building this really compelling analytics experience that's an amazing user experience for for this population of users. And we want to be able to take advantage of what people have invested years and years in, in in cloud data warehouses. And I think the other thing that we saw as we were getting started is that increasingly, there was just a lot of adoption at the storage layer of cloud data warehouses, of things like DBT to transform your data and and clean up your data that way. And that we could come in and, and provide this really strong sort of added value on top of that without needing to kind of reinvent the wheel that's already being done really, really well by these other products. And then, you know, what are the supported systems? If I have Snowflake or I'm on AWS, what kinds of things can you connect to? I mean, you name it. Snowflake, Databricks. We just did Dremio and Trino, MySQL, Postgres, S3. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, we're also, it's a Python notebook. Uh, We've built a lot of native integrations, but this was pretty core. Again, going back to kind of Barry's low floor, high ceiling comment, Ultimately, with Python, we want to make the experience great for the really common path. But with Python, you have access to all of this stuff. Many, many of these of these systems have great Python bindings, and it makes it a really great choice for a sort of a base level technology to build on. One of the things I might be doing is building some machine learning models, which, at least in my experience, when I'm going to do them locally, not with some you know distributed tool, I'm going to need a lot of memory, maybe more than I need on the days I'm just doing some SQL queries and things like that. Do I have options to configure the compute that's behind my notebook? Short answer is yes. This is something that we've seen a lot of. And I think there was there were some interesting considerations here, quite frankly, because we are running the compute for you. And so there are implications around just giving you more and more memory. You know, that's pretty expensive on the underlying cloud infrastructure. But yeah, this was something that we heard a lot from users. And so as we've been sort of thinking through, we were talking about customizable libraries and environments earlier in, in the show. We also have been able to do this with with resources. So with increased memory, if that's something that you need, increased CPU, even GPUs, things like that. That's something that we've we've been able to provide for the for the users who want to do more advanced things. I think there's also cool opportunities to integrate with a lot of things in the ecosystem here. There's people building some really interesting distributed systems. So you were asking earlier about storage, and it's like, well, we're not going to build our own data warehouse. There's people doing a very good job of that. We'll let you scale up resources that we can provide, but also like integrate closely with if you're running other types of distributed infrastructure, making that a first class experience as well. You'd mentioned SQL ID as being one aspect of Hex. That's not traditionally something that's in the notebook experience, although I mean, it's Python, of course, so I can, you know, figure out my connector and connect to my database. What enhancements or, uh, you know, easier paths to success are available in Hex for me? Yeah, I mean, I think this is an interesting thing just to back up for a moment. Like, 
if you think of the world as like Python notebook, then like, yeah, there's all sorts of things that aren't in there. And as we think of the bigger opportunity around these workflows, we've always thought of Hacks as this sort of workspace of like, hey, it's not just about being a Python notebook. It's about this whole range of these analytics workflows. And so first-class SQL support was always a very obvious thing to do for us. And we've we've built something I think that's pretty compelling. So I can establish a data connection, whether I'm using Trino or Snowflake or Redshift or whatever I'm using. I can browse my schemas so I can see, you know, all the underlying data structures. If I'm using something like DBT or another data catalog, I can enrich that schema with information about metadata or descriptions or tests. And then I can write SQL queries right in a SQL cell in Hex that returns a data frame. And, you know, the SQL experience is great. We have schema type ahead, code formatting, previews, um, all the things you'd expect from like a modern SQL editor. And I can actually just go wall to wall building a SQL notebook. I don't have to write a single line of Python. And so that's, again, why it's like, is, is it a Python notebook? Well, no, it's just, you know, it's, it's this bigger thing. And so we introduced this feature called Data Frame SQL, which is pretty sweet, which is like, I can write an initial query against, you know, whatever database I'm using. And then I can write another query on that data frame result. We kind of treat every data frame in Hex as part of this sort of meta schema, like meta database that I can query. And that's true even for a a data frame that might be returned by a Python cell. So if I'm running a Python cell, it's transforming a, a data frame in pandas, or it's even maybe it's hitting an API and pulling a data frame back. I can query that data frame and transform it using SQL, using our data frame SQL feature. And so we have a lot of users are actually a ton of users that just use Hex like an end-to-end SQL experience because it's bringing that literate programming notebook style experience to that, to this bigger population of users. That is re- that's really, really cool. And again, I think it's very core to our mission. We don't see that as like a bolt-on. It's like, yes, this is the point, bringing more people in and allowing them to engage in, in data analytics workflows and data science workflows. Like that's, that's the mission. Another feature that has sort of set outside the traditional scope of what a notebook is, is scheduling. I've often been in this case where I have a great notebook and I'd like to have it just run every day or on some frequency like that. Can Hex help me with scheduling? Yeah, we have built-in scheduling. You can set it up to run hourly, daily, weekly. And if I've published my work as a data app, that the outputs, the cached outputs of that app actually will refresh on that schedule. So that we see a lot of people do this, like they'll have a project in Hex, and so maybe it takes like 15 minutes to run end-to-end because it's doing a bunch of data processing or the query is expensive. They'll set that up to run like daily or hourly or whatever. And then the end users who are going in to look at the results, they're seeing the sort of cached outputs from that last scheduled run versus having to run it all like ad hoc, which is great both for, you don't want to sit and stare at the thing while it's running. It's also great for cost, like you're not you know, shredding a bunch of uh, queries against your uh, underlying database all the time. So yeah, the scheduling features are, are pretty popular. And we also have the ability to automatically send emails. If your scheduled run fails, like it'll email you like, hey, there's an error. But also uh, if, this, if the run succeeds, you can also set it up to email groups of people with a link to the project. So this is something we'll see people do like every week on Monday morning, rerun the project and email out to a group of stakeholders, like to the execs or to the product manager for this thing a link to the project with the results. Um, and that that's great just in terms of that shareability and being able to consume the work. So I think earlier you described Hex as a collaborative data space. And we've talked through mostly kind of the analytical environment or what I would see data scientists doing. 
I'm curious now on the data engineering side, do you see this as an ETL tool as well? You know, when you build something that has a lot of flexibility, you'll see people use it for all sorts of stuff. We did not set out to build an ETL tool. There's a lot of great ETL tools I can recommend. People, our friends at DBT Labs build a superlative experience around transforming data in in your warehouse. Although it's funny, we'll look at some things that people have built in Hex and they're like, yeah, I'm scheduling this to run every hour. And you're looking at what it's doing and it's like basically an ETL pipeline. And it's cool to build something that gives people that degree of flexibility. I think if people want to build that in Hex, like go for it. But I, I don't think that's the main focus. What we do see people building actually like like the more like on the on pieced workflow would be if I'm a data engineer, I'm an analytics engineer that a lot of my work is developing ETL pipelines, I might use Hex to iterate on the logic for it. Like that that notebook style, literate, REPL style thing is actually great. I can say, oh, and write the SQL, look at the result, iterate, iterate, iterate. Great, this looks good. And then maybe I'm taking that logic and then pushing it down to a DPT model or to uh, some scripts I'm scheduling through Airflow or something like that. Like that's a totally valid workflow and that's great. And if you want to schedule it to run from Hex, like go for it. I'm not going to stop you, but it's just not a primary focus of what we're trying to offer in terms of, you know, like being an ETL platform or whatever. Well, from startups and small enterprise all the way through medium and, you know, large corporate enterprise situations, there's different needs within companies for how they want to deploy or use different technologies. Do you see any patterns in adoption? Are, you know, startups being especially successful because they're nimble or do some of your compliance and features like that make you really more enterprise ready? Yeah. So, so I think like in the tech first companies that are built around data, like the, the sort of, if you've, if you've been founded in the last 10 years, you've kind of, I think you've kind of been born into a time as a company of like understanding that data is really important. And these are also companies that are typically adopting tools like cloud data warehouses and all the other sort of modern data stack things that go with that. So those companies like immediately get a great lift out of Hex and they typically have data teams. But, you know, we have a lot of experience in our past lives and in bigger enterprise as well that a lot of those are or are trying to be much more data driven. And as we've matured the product, we've seen a bunch of uptake of market. And I think that's where a lot of security investments have really mattered. Yeah, I think this was something that we knew we were going to have to do from the very beginning. We actually started building out our security infrastructure as some of our earliest set of features. And that was actually really interesting for us because we we, we found some early customers who were actually very security conscious. And we went and we iterated directly with them, you know, on all of our infrastructure and our Terraform and making sure that, you know, we were in a place that was just a having a really good, strong security stance from nearly day one. It was like nearly one of the, like our, our earliest features. We actually got SOC 2 way earlier than anybody recommended to me getting, getting SOC 2. And the reason we did this is because we knew that, you know, companies that have a lot of data, they care about their data and they care about what you're doing with it and how you treat it. And this has actually been enormously successful. We've actually worked with a fair amount of, of companies with really quite sensitive data and they've all been really, really impressed, I guess, with our maturity compared to, you know, our, the age of our company there. And I do think a lot of that comes from our experience working with this type of, with this type of data earlier in our careers and just knowing immediately upfront that that was going to be critical. I think most companies in my experience will view security stuff as like a chore or a box checking exercise. And one of the things Caitlin and the team have done since very early on is I think we've seen it as an opportunity, like being front footed about security, having an awesome security stance, taking it seriously. When a customer asks, 
to have a security conversation instead of being like, oh gosh, be like, great, well, let's lean into that because we think we do a great job on that. That's been super meaningful for our business and that, that'll just be more true over time. The space of tools that uh, data scientists and analysts and the you know spectrum of people who work in this area have access to is evolving. I think that's probably going to evolve the way people do their jobs and the way teams operate. When you think a few years into the future, do you have a vision for how that team and you know the professional data person evolves? Yeah, I, I think historically you've you've seen this dichotomy between like people who are data people and people who aren't. Like I've got data in my job title. I'm a data scientist. I'm a data analyst. I'm a data engineer. I do data things, and other people do not, or they do. You know, <laughs> they have less access to these things, and I think that's changing. And I think one thing we see this bigger population of people that can, that are sort of data literate and technically literate. And that doesn't mean everyone's going to go learn Python tomorrow, but you do see this bigger population of people who know SQL or they are doing really complex things in Excel, which is basically code, or maybe they have learned some Python. You see a lot of people coming out of undergraduate or graduate programs who have taken some data science classes. And these are all people who are data literate, data curious. They're, they want to ask and answer questions with data. And we want to be a platform that allows this bigger population of people to do this. And, and that's where I really think this is going. There's going to be a change over the next few years of these workflows not just being limited to the people with data in their job title. Like everyone's going to become a data person. And so I think you'll always have data teams. There's always things that you're going to want, you know, real specialists to do. But allowing more people to ask and answer these questions is, is something we're really focused on and that we want to help advance. And I think this opportunity is also really coming about because of this sort of quote unquote modern data stack that's emerged, you know, you have technologies like Snowflake and Fivetran and DBT that have made it really easy to get a bunch of data into your data warehouse, clean it up into usable, reliable tables and make it accessible to the organization. That was not true a few years ago. Like a few years ago, it was actually a real ordeal to try to get like your hands on, you know, Hey, what was, what, give me all the orders data for our business or whatever. Like that was, that was a big, you would go ask someone for that. And now like, Hey, it lives in Snowflake. And I think Hex can be a wonderful front end to allowing people to go do more with that, that data. And we're really excited about that. Can you describe your release process or how you go from ideation to something getting into the final product? Yeah, this has been really important to us from from the very beginning. And we've sort of designed our engineering team around two things that are often seen as in tension with, with each other. One is shipping a high quality product and the other is doing it quickly. And I think we've, we've built out a really great system for this that doesn't require us to, you know, work 80 hour weeks or whatever, but also sort of maintain this high, high cadence of release and also just build things that are a really great, great user experience. And the way that I sort of think about how you accomplish this is by having and enabling a really high degree of parallelism on your engineering team. And the big thing that we've done here is that our ICs, so our engineers and our designers, they really own not just sort of implementation and, and projects, but problems end to end. We're not going to give you a whole list of Jira tickets or a really long spec and then, you know, spend weeks iterating on that and then have you go just like implement it line by line. What we do is we give we give our folks just an important problem that we know we need to solve and their responsibility is to come up with a solution and validate and deliver it. 
and you know, as a manager, as an engineering manager, I'm here to help, provide feedback, get you resources if you need them. But ultimately, we leave it up to the ICs to kind of drive those things end to end. So what this does is because we have a bunch of these things kind of running in parallel at any given time, we're, we're constantly shipping, but we don't necessarily need to s- sacrifice that extra bit of quality or that like one or two days to try to get something out the door. We can actually take that time to to invest in that. And I think there's also another nuance here, which is that in order to enable this, the other thing that we've done really well is to make some pretty smart technical investments along the way that are not just based around features. So I think, for example, one of the very first things that we built was actually a complete CI/CD pipeline. And that might seem like overkill before you even have users, but our ability to ship new updates multiple times a day without you know, a lot of process or ceremony has dramatically accelerated our ability to learn and iterate on features and not to mention just like the sheer number of engineering hours that we've we've saved over that period. And we also sort of think pretty critically upfront about technical debt. And I actually don't even like to call it technical debt. I sort of think about this as investments in future velocity and really framing them around, you know, what is the return on that investment going to be? And I found that that's actually a really powerful framework for helping to prioritize them against feature work, which sometimes you can kind of get in this cycle where the feature work always feels more important and then you get stuck on sort of the technical debt. And doing that has allowed us to stay ahead of this on both the sort of on the developer experience and a lot of the architecture. And that's also, I think, really contributed to our ability to deliver, you know, quickly and at a high high quality bar. And when you're looking on the roadmap, are there any upcoming features or maybe recent releases you want to highlight? Uh, Yeah, we're we've built a lot. We recently released the knowledge library, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. I think it's it's sort of how do the things that data teams are are building and publishing get widely disseminated and discovered by an organization? How do you go from building one-off analyses to building true knowledge? That's a theme that we're really excited about. Uh, We recently released the reactive compute model. That that was last year. That was something that's really, really changed the way people think about these workflows and has been, been pretty amazing to see that take hold. And then the last one we actually just released yesterday, I think, <laughs> uh, was uh, a new app builder. This is kind of a f- fun one, but like we had looked around at, you know, when you're building a UI, the app UI in Hex, we had previously offered a couple different modes, story and canvas mode. We looked around at a bunch of different libraries. We, th- these weren't ideal. So we looked around at a bunch of different libraries for um, sort of drag and drop uh, element build, element arrangement UIs. And none of them quite fit what we were looking for. So this is in something we love doing, which is sort of going, all right, let's go build something ourselves and dug in and built a really amazing uh, new app builder UI where I can drag input parameters or outputs or headers or whatever and arrange them. It's really, really slick. The result of like two months of really intensive work, but it came out amazingly. And I think you know, huge kudos to our engineering and design team who just really built an amazing experience there. Yeah, totally. I think the thing that I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but one of the things that I'm also really excited about when we talked about sort of notebooks and how they work and what what we kind of see as some of the, the technological barriers there, we talked a lot about state with reactivity, but we didn't talk so much about the scale side of things. And you mentioned, hey, can I scale up my resources and get more memory and things being very memory intensive and like, yes, we can do that. And there's there's times where that's appropriate. And then there's times where that's just impractical. I know we're moving into this era where everyone has a cloud data warehouse and things are operating a cloud data warehouse scale. So one thing that I'm really excited about is kind of exploring that 
and exploring how we can really empower users to use the same kind of hex experience that that we've built, but against these like massive scales of data. And where can listeners learn more about Hex online? Go to our website, hex.tech. We also have a Twitter handle that's hard to spell over audio. So you can just go to our website and check things out there. And then, um, you know, if you're the type of person who loves working on interesting technical problems or, you know, interesting technologies like this, you know, we'd love to hear from you. We Check out our jobs page. We're hiring for engineers and designers and data nerds up and down the stack. And, you know, we have a, a very ambitious roadmap full of big ideas and little details. And we love bringing people aboard who or get excited about that. So we'd love to hear from you if you fall into that category. Well, Barry and Caitlin, thank you both so much for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thanks. This has been great. It was our pleasure. Thanks for having us.